For all my listeners out there who consider themselves a day hiker, like myself, you got to check out Hike It Off magazine, and it's written exclusively with the day hiker in mind. I seriously love this magazine, and the founder, Jamie, was a previous guest on our podcast, and her story behind the magazine is really phenomenal. It's one of the first magazines to focus solely on day hiking, and they share everything from gear reviews to expert advice, inspiring interviews, in-depth trail coverage, and all things day hiking related. Their mission is to share the good vibe and healing energy of hiking and inspire deep-rooted connection to the outdoors. And I know that's something we can all get behind. Their 100% digital magazine, they want to leave the trees in the forest, of course, is free and it can be downloaded at hikeitofflife.com. All right, let's get into the episode. I was out on the river one day, just enjoying my paddling. I stuck my hands in the cool water. I looked up at the sun and I thought, you know what? I'm going to make it. This is it. Being out on the river, being in a place that I love, having some physical activity of a sport that I'm so passionate about. This is going to save my life. And it did. Today's guest is Jim Coffey. Jim's bio and background is as long as the rivers he paddles. But just to name a few, he's the founder, owner, and director of Esprit Whitewater, which offers whitewater rafting adventures and training in Canada, Mexico, and Costa Rica. In 2008, National Geographic rated Esprit the world's number one whitewater outfitter. Jim has traveled to over 50 plus countries, is a world-renowned leader in swift water rescue instruction, and a vocal social and environmental advocate. As you'll hear in this episode, Jim's spirit and enthusiasm is infectious and he motivates people to challenge themselves, to connect with nature, and to spend time outdoors enjoying, experiencing, and discovering their spirit of adventure. So let's get into it. I'm your host, Liz Landine, and this is The Outdoor Entrepreneur. All right. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Liz. Great to be here. I'm really excited to be talking with you today. And in doing my research and preparing for this interview, I was quickly overcome by the extensive bio and background you have. I mentioned some of these already in the podcast introduction, but just to name a few, you've been a solopreneur for over 30 years. In 2008, National Geographic rated Esprit the world's number one whitewater outfitter. You're also a world-renowned leader in swift water rescue instruction, and you're a vocal social and environmental advocate. And that's, I know, just the tip of the iceberg. I know you do many other things. So knowing there's lots of directions to go with this interview, I thought you could start with taking us back to the beginning of this long career you've had in entrepreneurship and sharing first, how did you get into whitewater sports? And what was kind of the spark or the situation that kicked off this lifelong interest in loving playing, working, and, you know, living in water sports? Sure. Well, like many other people within my industry, I'm sure that if I were to try to pinpoint, you know, how I ended up on this career path and, and how it affected my life, I have to admit that it's part of this regular Canadian upbringing and Canadian dream that I was a summer camp brat from the age of, of five till 17. And the camp that I went to was focused on whitewater canoe tripping. And that's why I would spend all of my summers. And that led to an expedition in the Arctic in 1981, when I was 15, turning 16 years old on a river called the Copper Mine. And from that point, all dreams and aspirations that my parents had of me becoming a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant all went out the window. And I thought that I should be a great explorer. Now, it turned out that become a great explorer in Canada, I was 150 years too late. So <laughs> I took that, that adage and I sort of took it on the road and I started building these little packages in different places to um, not necessarily always be the explorer myself, but to help aid people in being able to do some of their own exploration. And here I am today, years later, still finding new and amazing things to see and do and introducing other people to those new and amazing things as well. Yes, I, I would say you are still an explorer. <laughs> and I know you started your business back in 1992. 
So I'm curious, you know, what that shift was like from just having fun to actually owning your own business and really becoming a leader in this eco advocacy space. Well, you know, it's it's really quite interesting because at the time in the spring of 1992, I had been managing another whitewater rafting company and I've been working my way around the world doing these different jobs and activities and in that spring that was right in the height of a recession and the company that I had been working for wanted to make some big changes to their operation and I thought that I could you know work with two or three of those changes but not all of them and so anyhow it led to my rather abrupt resignation and I thought oh my goodness now what am I going to, going to do? And I think often when people have these big change events in their life, they get really nervous and they think, oh my goodness, why did I do that? Or what's, what's going to happen next? What's the next step? But little did I know that as that door closed, that other doors just opened up. And I decided that I was going to go out and start my own operation. And so with a small loan, well, firstly, not even before I get to loan, I had at that point in time, $500, my name. And so to get a $15,000 loan from our government backed by the government of Ontario, um, I had to show that I had $5,000. So I borrowed 5,000 from my mother that gave me 5,500. I secured a $15,000 loan from the province of Ontario. And 30 some odd years later, here we are moving forward. We have operations in Canada, uh, probably about 25 different programs that we run in Canada. We also have operations in Mexico and Costa Rica. And I'm speaking to you from my home in Mexico, having just finished one of our uh, week-long whitewater paddling holidays here in Mexico. Incredible. It's such a great story. So can you tell everybody what does your business look like now? Sure. So, you know, with that very uh, humble and small beginnings, you know, we started off with two guides and a driver. So there was only three of us to get started. And now we, um, we employ a team of about 20 in Canada, and then probably about six or seven internationally in the wintertime for our programs in Mexico and Costa Rica. We have a beautiful property on the Ottawa River in Canada that we operate both whitewater rafting base camp, which includes a campground and a hostel. And then adjacent to that property, we have a beautiful bed and breakfast. So for people who want more upmarket accommodation, they can stay with us there. And we're also fortunate that we're near a small community called Fort Coulange in a region called the Pontiac in Western Quebec. And there we have a, uh, there's a beautiful country inn that's nearby. So for people who want more upmarket accommodation, then we can partner with those, you know, other places within our community. So we've been able to make it that apart from our own operation, that people and other businesses that might in some places in the world think of themselves as being competitive. Instead, we look at ourselves as allies. We do our best to be able to support other businesses within our community, which then usually in turn uh, makes it they come back and support us. That's wonderful. Well, I mean, just hearing everything you you're doing through Esprit Whitewater. I'm super excited. I'm going to be doing the Outdoor Entrepreneur Travel Tour in 2022. So I feel like this needs to be added to my list of something to do, places to visit. It sounds right up my alley. Well, you'll have to pick Canada, Mexico, or Costa Rica or come visit us in all three. Your choice. Or all three. Yeah. <laughs> sounds great. Perfect. Well, I love that you were able to bring your, you know, your passion for whitewater sports together with things like stewardship and then layered on top of that is also, I know something really important to you, which is leadership. So can you talk a little bit more about what you hope people will experience by bringing kind of these three pieces together? Sure. Now, firstly, I want to explain that when I first started, this was before there was anything such as a quote, a course on how to be an outdoor or an adventure entrepreneur. And you know, now there's many different college programs that people take and they can learn about all these different things. And they learn, you know, a lot of the formal ways of being able to, to start your business in formal ways to see success. I didn't come from that background. I came from maybe what they often consider the very small percentage of businesses that succeeded based on passion, drive, determination, 
you know, tolerance for adversity and uncertainty, all, all of those things that, that really, if someone were to, to analyze the beginnings of my business, they would probably have said, this isn't how you do it. But I had a really strong level of competency in the field as a guide. And although I didn't have much in the management or administrative side, as far as experience goes, I was able to hire people to do some of those things for me. And I was able to keep the, the program on the forefront and really accentuate that, you know, these are the things that I'm passionate about. And so I'm going to do those. And these are some of the things I'm not so passionate about. So I'm going to hire competent people to be able to, to help with those things. So in doing so, that led to, um, you know, the idea of, okay, what else can I do that's based on inspiration and passion in my business? And I thought apart from the activities, which I know and love, I'm also very uh, socially driven and, and opinionated, environmentally driven and opinionated. So I thought, why not use my business as a vehicle to express some of the things that are important to me personally? So, so really the, the tapestry of what my business is made out of, I'm really able to put some of my personal beliefs into our professional ethos. And when I look at, at different, call it mentors or books or, you know, how to start your business or anything in that sort of self-help, I always circle back to a book written by a woman by the name of Dame Anita Roddick, who is the founder of The Body Shop. And although selling cosmetics, taking people whitewater rafting have nothing to do with each other, the way that she operated was such conviction and passion and realized that. The products that she sells isn't that important, but the message that she's able to convey through her business and the products is what inspires her to get up every day and to, to keep going and to, to push towards success. And for me, I've come to the realization that you know, we're not going to win you know, a Nobel Prize or anything super special or that's super important based on just taking people out on the river. but some of those other messages that are combined in environmentalism and social activism are, are things that we can share while people are out enjoying our activities. And that's one of the things that we've, we've set out to do. Well, I love, I just love how powerful it is what you do, because I think back to anytime I do anything outside, anything in nature, it's just powerful. And I feel like it's, it's life-changing on so many levels. So such a perfect example of, really bringing together, you know, your passions into a business, whether you knew that from the beginning or not, but that's how it's worked out. I love hearing stories of that and that you can build a business in a way that you want to build it and in a way that feels really good and, and true to who you are. And I love reminding people that they can do that. Well, it's pretty amazing to live a purpose-driven life. And, you know, there, there are certain times where you know, we have issues or problems or some hardships or whatever that happens to be, and that it could be really easy to think, oh, you know, let's not do that program anymore. Let's not do this anymore. Let's change how we do everything. But when there's more to it than just what's on the surface, you then realize that there's, there's value in keeping those things. And people often talk about the idea of having a, you know, a triple bottom line of, you know, you have to look after your finances and then looking after the environment, looking after people there, you know, there's a bunch of those different things that are that are included with that, we measure our success in a wide variety of different ways. So one of which is obviously financial or else you can't keep going. The other is the quality of our products, mastership for the environment, local people within the area. And another one, which I think is really important for entrepreneurs that employ different people is to um, make sure that your staff are able to buy into the message that your company is trying to, to put forward. And the way that they do that is by being treated well and being respected and being looked after well and being compensated well. And so you can't really expect your guests to get the message if your staff aren't delivering it. So sometimes people talk about the idea of, you know, the customer is always right. You know, and although we like to think of our customers as being right, really the people that we're most favored to gear our support to is to our staff members. Great point. So I'm wondering, is there a correlation between whitewater sports and being an entrepreneur? Well, you know, whitewater as a sport is something that that many people can do. You know, there are many people who are 
doctors, lawyers, plumbers, electricians, engineers, whatever. And they've decided to take up primarily whitewater kayaking or maybe whitewater canoeing or in certain parts of the world, whitewater rafting as a private activity. And they just go ahead and, and do that. And sometimes there's a user fee that they have to pay, or sometimes there's access issues, whatever that happens to be, but they, they kind of work that out on their own. What I do and what other entrepreneurs do is we provide really easy and in some ways seamless access to those type of activities. So it's really sort of an access related issue. You know, someone can pay me $150 and I can take them down the river somewhere. They don't need to worry about how they're going to get there. You know, their transport, they don't need to worry about their security. They're not going to need to worry about what to keep in a medical kit. They don't need to figure out the route, where to put in or where to take out. And, and so in exchange for us providing that level of expertise, they're able to compensate us with their payment. That in, in itself is quite entrepreneurial. One of the things which is also interesting with that is that we like to think that we should be able to knock down all barriers of participation. So we take people whitewater rafting or on different activities, regardless of whatever physical, emotional, psychological challenges that they might have. So we've taken people, for example, with traumatic brain injury. And so they might have other people who have mobility issues. We've had paraplegics. We've had quadriplegics um, whitewater rafting with us. We do a special program for kids and families challenged with autism because the barrier to going that access shouldn't be just being able to walk and talk and function like everybody else. Everyone should have access to our, our type of activities, our type of river corridors, the beautiful, amazing places that we visit. Sometimes we even run into people that that the, the barrier to participation is financial. And, and that shouldn't be a barrier either. So sometimes we end up taking people at either a discounted rate or maybe even possibly for free if they can express to us that this is something that they really need to do and they really want to do, but they're not in a position to afford it financially. We don't think that, that should be a barrier either. And a friend of mine explained to me that one of his mentors use the term that you should be prepared to or, or to be able to give away your best work. And so sometimes we do that. And we know that in doing so, that usually when we've done something out of the ordinary, out of the normal, that we think, oh, well, this is costing us or this is, you know, we're not making the money that we should or whatever that happens to be. But usually those type of things come up as opportunities. And those opportunities usually turn around to have some form of what I call surprise reward. And so we may end up taking someone who you know, had some type of physical challenge, but they didn't come by themselves. They decided to bring an entourage of people to, to join them. And all those other people are paying full price. Or maybe we took someone who had a financial barrier, but the next thing you know, they've written about it on social media and a whole bunch of other people have joined us to, to come with us because they see the human spirit of what we do. Right. And they see, oh, this isn't just a big corporation which has all these hard defined rules. Instead, this is young, dynamic, almost guerrilla entrepreneurship. And we like that. We think it's we think it's fun. We think it's exciting to do things that are not just uh, you know, pulled out of the same box every day. I love it. That's great. And I love thinking about it as a surprise reward. <laughs> it's a good way to uh to think about that. We've never taken someone rafting that we've regretted the experience or we've never taken someone or provided something different or extra for, for someone and then realized, Oh, that, that was a bad thing to do. It all either a works out in the end or it comes back to us in spades. And that's where I think I'm happy that my operation is not a very big operation, but it has a really wide foundation. Like we do lots of different things in a lot of different places. That foundation gives us pretty solid footing to be able to make these individual decisions, you know, sort of case by case to possibly help people access our, our type of programs or they're, you know, they're just things we do are, are special. Sometimes they're life-changing. So why wouldn't we want to be a catalyst in that positive transformation for, for people joining us on our, you know, in, a, in an adventure? Yeah. Well, I, I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier too. And, and I love highlighting these examples of that 
you can build your business however the hell you want to build your business. And if that means you want to, you want to be able to offer certain things to certain people or whatever that is, you can, there's not, you don't have to follow any hard and fast rules. And it's really about being true to who you are and the business you want to build. That's an amazing point. And in fact, I think, you know, when we see new young entrepreneurs trying to get started, trying to do things all the right way with in the right order and, and sometimes not even getting started because the list of things to do is so seemingly insurmountable or, or so intimidating. Really, the answer is just what you said. You can do whatever you want. Just do it. And maybe you're going to do it one way for a while. And then you're going to realize, okay, I've done that for a while, but I've, I've got to change doing that now that I've sort of graduated to, an, to another level. You know, so I'd really encourage people that someone who's in a job that they don't like and they've been thinking about doing something entrepreneurial in the outdoors, don't get hung up on the reasons why you can't do it. Just try and figure out the reasons why you have to do it and go for it. That's a perfect segue, actually, to my next question and something I just heard you say a few minutes ago, which is this idea around tolerance for adversity. And as entrepreneurs, many times, you know, life and business, they overlap. And as in life and business, there are many ups and downs. And I know when we first met prior to this interview, we talked a little bit. And what stood out to me was the phrase you said a number of times in that conversation. And that's how important it is that we have a tolerance for adversity. And I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit more about what that means. What does that mean to you? And, you know, how tolerance for adversity has looked for you personally over the years. So interestingly enough, you know, I've been working in this industry for a long time and I run a school which is called WILD. It's the Whitewater Intensive Leadership Development School. And we take young people of all ages, really. And we do a three-month Whitewater Guide training program. So a month in Canada, a month in the United States, a month in Mexico, and includes rafting, canoeing, kayaking, water rescue, wilderness first aid, outdoor ethics, et cetera. And so in the process of while I was the director of a school, to be honest, I had really never had much formal training in leadership, but I was fortunate enough to be invited to be an, an instructor with Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership Schools. And Knowles has a series of when they talk about leadership, which they refer to as seven different pillars of leadership. And they relate to things like communication and confidence and you know your expedition behavior and vision and action, et cetera. But one of the ones that always stands out for me is that this idea of tolerance for adversity and uncertainty. And I thought, wow, you know what? I think I have a fair amount of that. And that's one of the things that, that they describe as being really important for outdoor leaders or people who are out in the field. You know, you're climbing Mount Everest and you're in a snowstorm and you're tucked away in your tent and you know, you're getting really cold and all sorts of things are, are going wrong. And you think this is awesome. You know, that's a pretty good, good feeling. So with my staff, when they have to do the day of, you know, we're driving home from a trip and the trailer breaks down, we need someone to stay with the trailer and we'll be back to pick them up hours later. And it's raining and they have to like climb under the trailer to stay dry or whatever it happens to be. They think back to the idea of, I told them that they're going to need to have a high tolerance for adversity and uncertainty. So although I've been training people to, to think of, of those things as being very important as an outdoor leader, my top guides, when they think of all these different seven pillars of leadership, they always think that the one that they do best at is this tolerance for adversity and uncertainty. I've recently had to take a little bit of my own medicine. So five years ago in 2016, having just come home from an incredible bucket list trip that I did as a, uh, on my own, you know, as, a, as opposed to leading a group, I'd just gotten back from Tibet and I was opening up my business for a huge expecting a really big weekend. We have a wood fire pizza oven. We had live music. We expected about 200 people from our local community to come and kick off their summer season. On a Friday afternoon of our long weekend in May, my building, my base camp, which was a, a hundred year old bar with a whole bunch of other sort of additions to it, went up in flames. And I was actually out on the lake canoeing at the time when I looked behind me and saw all this black smoke and realized that my building was on fire. And I also knew 
at that time that my young son, who was five years old, was with his 85-year-old grandmother upstairs in my office in the only room that has no exit to it. So I paddled into shore and I ran into the burning building. Unfortunately, they had made it out and everyone had made it out. And so I did a few things like shut off the power, grab my computer, and I had to go outside and, and watch really my entire operation burn to the ground when I had 70 people rafting the following day on two different rivers, which by the way, we were able to take everybody rafting as if they didn't know that the whole incident had even happened. So that, that was the first one. Then shortly thereafter in 2019, our region had incredible flooding, flooding like it's never been seen before. We had, you know, the hundred year flood of which the highest flood that we had had was in fact only two years before in 2017. But this is when I had just purchased a new property to create a bed and breakfast. So it has three different rental units. And suddenly, 10 days after purchasing the property, the river, which has given so much to me, you know, my income, my life, my connection, my passion, all sorts of things based along the Ottawa River came back and really flooded like it had never seen before and took away some of that, you know, those amazing things that it's given me, including flooding my brand new property. So it was almost like, you know, you'd see them, I'd be out early in the morning and the mist would be coming across the lake as it was rising up against the sandbag wall that I had created. And I kind of felt like it was almost a dragon out in the mist. And I was looking around, waiting to see when it was going to actually arrive. And so what happened is eventually the water came up so high that it circulated around this new property and building and then entered in from underneath. So my sandbag wall held, but it just, you know, we got surrounded. So we then had to deal with flooding. So we've done fire and flood. So at this point in time, I was really waiting for plague of locusts. But plague of locusts didn't <laughs> arrive. Instead, um, the pandemic did. And so with the pandemic, I knew there was something wrong in February of 2020 is when we normally start getting reservations for our upcoming season. But instead, what we ended up with was a series of cancellations for our spring season in Mexico. And then no reservations came in from essentially February until almost May or June. So when we normally, that's a big booking season for us, that no income was coming in. I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a big challenge. But fortunately, the Canadian government, I believe, did a very good job of supporting small business and entrepreneurs during the pandemic. So we were able to you know, literally, pardon the pun, but stay afloat over that time. And just as I was about to, on a Friday, shutter our season based on COVID, come Monday, I had reservations for the next weekend and we were permitted to operate. So five days later, we went, did this switch from, okay, looks like we're gonna have to close down our whole season to, no, we're not, we're operating. And we got in this incredible team of guides right at the last minute, including a particular guide who led the way, a friend of mine named Ty Smith, that, that just did such this in, incredible job of getting everyone trained and dealing with these, you know, the, the pandemic and how we're going to adjust. Because one of the things that we were concerned with was, how are we going to have enough sanitary conditions and how are we going to deal with people from different groups being in the same raft and all that type of stuff? But then we turned it around to think, well, instead of worried about, are we going to be able to do enough? Why don't we try and figure out what would in fact be the industry leading best practices? What could we do to really make this secure and stand out amongst our industry by saying, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. Now come join us. And people did. And it was amazing. And because most of our activities are based outside, where transmission is, you know, is documented as being much lower, we were able to operate a very successful season. We were able to do that two years in a row. And now we're hoping now that, you know, things have moved along that, that with vaccinations and things like that, that we'll be in, in better shape. But during that time period, you're going to think this, this should be a movie about this. 
Um, <laughs> but, you know, we finally got the okay to go ahead. You know, I've had my one property burned down. I've had the other one flooded. We've now had a pandemic. Um, I was then diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> so mm. I went, so my staff just united and said, don't worry, Jim, we've got this. And they did a fantastic job. And I ended up taking more of an administrative role as I was going through, through treatment of which I thought I was going to kick in the, in the butt, but I, um, I did so poorly. And just so everyone knows, if you have a friend or family member who's, you know, who's challenged with, with cancer, they are heroes and they're going through stuff that you have no idea. You should go like go and hug them like right now. And so I went in for cancer treatment and in the process of my cancer treatment, I lost 25 kilos and I didn't eat for four and a half months. I was on a, a feeding tube where this milky liquid was like pumped into my stomach. And if I wasn't vomiting it back up, it was sort of barely giving me a little bit of nutrition. And while I was recovering from this treatment of, of both chemo and radiation, I thought, you know, I, I need to start getting some revenues coming in. So I started promoting a whitewater guide train, a modified whitewater guide training program in Mexico. And just when I thought, oh, it's not going to fly, I had four people who were reserved. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. It's the first time that, you know, with my treatment, I was spending the winter in Canada, which I hadn't had a winter in Canada since 1984. So I've gone a little bit soft in my burly, cold tolerant Canadian background. But come February, having finished treatment in November and sort of getting enough recuperation, I was declared cancer free in February around the 10th. And on the 12th, I then thought I got to go to Mexico to operate this program. Now, the problem is that Canadians were not allowed to drive across the border from Canada into the United States. And I needed to get a bunch of equipment and a vehicle to Mexico. So what I did was I flew, which was legal, from Niagara Falls, Ontario to Niagara Falls, New York, by, um, by renting a helicopter, flying over the Niagara Gorge, which was scenic and beautiful. Um, and I shipped my van from Niagara Falls, Ontario to Niagara Falls, New York, which is 10 kilometers. And then hopped in my van and drove through the Texas ice storm as if like that wasn't uh, you know, a challenge enough to get to Mexico. And I was out on the river one day and just enjoying my paddling. And I stuck my hands in the cool water. I looked up at the sun and I thought, you know what? I'm going to make it. This is it. Being out on the river, being in a place that I love, having some physical activity of a sport that I'm so passionate about. This is going to save my life. And it did. On top of that, I then got home or we were about to start operating our season in Canada, despite the, the pandemic with all of our you know, protocols and stuff in place and completely 100% my fault in a mountain biking accident. Um, I broke my femur (laughs) (laughs) right at at the beginning of our training season. I'm thinking, Oh my gosh. And of all those different things. And this is something amazing about looking after your own personal health. I thought this might be my comeuppance. You know, we survived the fire. We survived the flood. We're going to survive COVID. I survived cancer, but the fact that I can't physically get out on the water and do training for my staff, what's going to happen? But fortunately, I had an amazing surgeon who put a bunch of plates and screws in my legs and things like that. And again, a wonderful staff who took it upon themselves to literally get out there and train themselves. And now I'm walking at about 95%. I have a little bit of a a limp with uh, with my leg, but only been five months since that happened or six months since that happened. So it's getting better. I'm hundred percent cancer free. I've been checked five times since, uh, since my treatment. So that I'm very thankful about pandemic seems to be lifting up. My bed and breakfast has survived the flood. We're looking at building new structures at our rafting base camp from the fire. You know what? Little tolerance for adversity and uncertainty goes a long way. So we're excited to be moving forward into uh, 2022. Wow. I'm literally like on the edge of my seat. Like this needs to be a movie. I agree. Well, first and foremost, I'm so happy to hear that you're cancer free. I'm happy to hear that you're walking around. You are happy, healthy, thriving, all of that. And thank you for sharing your story and that, you know, although you had a lot of many potential roadblocks along the way, it sounds like it provided you with 
really some, some gifts and some lessons learned. And ultimately, I think that always leads to growth and expansion. We're going to take a quick break, but I can't wait to learn more from our guests about how they live and love the outdoor entrepreneur life. You know how much I love making time for the things that bring me joy. It's literally a key reason why I created this podcast. It's also why I'm so passionate about doing things that make life easier and allow me to feel more organized, less scattered, and more in control of my time. Come on, doesn't that sound amazing? Well, one way I do that is by getting crystal clear on what I want and mapping out a solid plan of action to make it happen. And I love teaching the simple system to others. Whether you're an experienced entrepreneur or an aspiring one, I help people sort through all the shiny things and mental clutter to get massively clear to make it all happen. So if you're ready to move from dreaming into doing and doing it with ease and flow and organization, then I got you. Go to lizliandine.com as soon as this podcast ends to check out my services page, sign up for my monthly newsletter, or you can schedule a free 30-minute clarity call with me. And as a bonus, all podcast listeners receive a special 10% off if you use discount code OUTDOORS at checkout. All right, now let's get back into the episode. For those that are listening and going through some shit right now, like you've been in the past, or maybe just really struggling with not feeling okay or worried about the present, worried about the future, all of that. Do you have any just recommendations, guidance on just a good starting point for them to be able to move things forward and maybe apply a little bit of what you've just talked about regarding tolerance for adversity? Yeah, I think that the big one is stay the course. Stay the course as in things often look like this is insurmountable. But if you stay the course, just keep on trying to to move through and push through, not try to panic. Like sometimes our, our mind views the actual situation differently than the actual situation is. I think that if we can train ourselves, say, okay, I've just got to stay the course here and push through that often there's that, it was sunny on the other side. And so there were many times where I thought, this is it. You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to move forward. But I was lucky enough to be able to to stay the course, confide in quality people, you know, and that's what one of the things that I think that there's anything that I would recommend for people in their hiring of staff is that you should hire for character, not for qualification. People can become qualified, but, you know, great people can become qualified. But just because someone's qualified doesn't mean you'll turn them into a great person. So. Uh, surround yourself with quality people and you'll realize that, that that level of, you know, that breaking point isn't where you think it is. It's actually further down the road. I love that. And I have to say that really speaks to me right now. It's actually a recent conversation I had and, and that was the same recommendation. Just, you know, stay the course and, and you can't fail if you don't quit, even though you don't have everything figured out right at this moment <laughs> to stay the course and things typically work out or you pivot or you find a way to make them work out. Pivoting is, is vital. You know, you want to be lean enough and light enough that you can make changes when you need to. At one point in time, I organized a zoom meeting for local tourism operators within my region. And some people from local tourism authorities were on the call. They said, you know, there's not going to be any tourism other than local tourism. And I thought local tourism. Many people from my community, which is the same in many small local rural communities, you know, aren't that interested in going whitewater rafting. You know, you often people don't explore what's in their own backyard. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I went out that afternoon right after that meeting and I purchased myself a, uh, a wood fire pizza oven. And I became a location where people could come from the local community. They could maybe go canoeing or kayaking if they wanted. But if nothing else, they could come and order a gourmet wood fire pizza and sit at the water's edge at the sunset, well socially distanced from everyone else. And that was my first pivot based on the um, on COVID. And what that's done is that supplied some needed income at a time of year where I wasn't allowed to operate my 
regular programming, but now I've continued with that program. And so now it's augments my other programs. Yeah. Well, you had me at pizza. So I think that's a great pivot. (laughs) (laughs) Always a good pivot. So right now, given your current situation, your current setup, what are you just absolutely loving right now? Well, right now I'm at my home in Mexico and I've just finished a trip with nine people from Oregon and a bunch of my, my Mexican staff and guides where we were out paddling these beautiful rivers with amazing rapids, a bunch of different waterfalls, nothing that's super crazy or intimidating, but just sheer fun. And so when you're working in that environment with people that are literally having the time of their life, and a lot of the reason as to why they're feeling that way is because you know, I've worked out the logistics to be able to, to make that happen for them in a timely and secure manner. That's, um, that's really invigorating. And so I've literally just driven, you know, last night, 12 hours back to my home and I'm still sort of riding the wave of contentment thinking, you know, we ran a superlative trip, amazing staff, great weather, fantastic food, wonderful guests, great activity. So when I piece all those things together, I think, wow, I love doing this. And I, and I say that as being a, you know, one of my own field guides for now 30 years, loving it. Amazing. One thing that, that people talk about is this idea of the Peter principle where people move up in an organizational structure right up to the level where they become incompetent. I think that for entrepreneurs who love being out in the field or love a particular activity, whatever that happens to be, you got to make sure that you save a little bit of time for you to continue doing that. Because if I didn't have time in the field, I would think, you know, there's a lot of better businesses to be in just to to make revenues than, than being in adventure travel, a lot, a lot of easier, more risk-free businesses. But because I get an ch- opportunity, I make an opportunity to stay in tune with what happens in the field. I then realize that, you know, what I do is valuable and priceless, I think for our guests, but also priceless for me and my staff. We really enjoy going to work every single day. And I'll say it again for those listening because I think this is another great reminder. You can build a business however the hell you want and it can look however you want. And if that means you are building this business and you find there's a lot of the paperwork and the admin stuff, you can still do the things you really enjoy, right? It's, it's finding time to do that, making time to do that, maybe hiring some people to take some of that other stuff off your plate, but making sure that you are finding ways to keep tapped into the things that really light you up. And I think that's a great example. So kind of the flip side to that coin, this show isn't just about showing what's perfect and entrepreneurship is ever evolving and we're always expanding and many times always in the process of just figuring things out. So what about your current situation? Are you wanting to maybe improve or maybe get a little bit more dialed in if you have something? Well, you know, there's, there's always, I think you'd be remiss as an entrepreneur to think, there's nothing that I can improve in my business. Everyone always sees those different avenues on, on what can be done, what can be done better and how to do things, uh, how to do things differently. I think it's important to always stay on top of what's happening as far as, as new technology goes within our, our fields. So for example, years ago, marketing was that you would take space in the yellow pages Remember the yellow pages, like a book that would yeah. come to your house, right? And you'd say, <laughs> uh-huh. oh, should I buy $500 or $700 in the yellow pages? And then you had to be good on the phone. Now, many people would rather book without talking to anyone. So now you have to make sure that you have a good internet presence and that that internet presence is user-friendly and seamless and easy for people to be able to, to make their bookings. And doing web pages and being you know, an expert Whitewater guide are two very, very different things. So we often talk about, when we talk about water rescue, that people enter into a state of panic when they feel that they're in a foreign environment with no avenue of escape. And that's what I sometimes feel when I'm faced with a technology that I'm not good with. It's like, oh, this is a foreign environment, but I can't escape it. Being able to make those small web changes, being able to... Um, make a way that you have seamless technology for people to be able to to book and reserve. 
is a big challenge. And sometimes you can farm some of that out, but there's a bunch of those things that's hard to just farm out. I think that you also need to know at least how to make some of those little modifications yourself because your webpage just doesn't look right when it's um, December and it still says, you know, we're excited about spring 2021. It's like, oh, wait a minute. We're almost at spring 2022. So being able to go in, make those little edits and changes, I think is something which is important for, for an entrepreneur. And those are the type of things that they challenge me. It's not my forte, but when I get a chance to sit down and do it, I do my best to sit down and do it and get it out of the way. If not, it's something that there's always lurking in the background. Great. Well, as we start to wrap up, I know you've traveled to, I believe, 50 plus countries and have seen and experienced a lot of really cool places. I have to know what are your top favorite places you've been to and why? Oh, wow. That's a huge question. That's a big question. Is there just one or two that immediately come to mind? Yeah, I've got a couple. I was very fortunate years ago to be um, on the forefront of opening up adventure tourism in Vietnam, where, which I love. I was similarly involved in some tourism offerings and openings in India, another country, which I love. Now of all the other destinations where I've really sort of found my, my second home, which is kind of becoming more like a first home that I love Mexico. And of those, what I love about Mexico is that that Spanish is quite a achievable language to learn. Whereas, you know, Vietnamese is harder. It's a tonal language and Hindi is, can be more difficult because often there's, you know, it can be written in a different, different script. Those are always the three countries that I think I have a particular affinity for, but another one, which I always have to mention now that I've, that I've just recently been there is that for 20 some odd years, I had a mountain in Western Tibet called Mount Kailash on my radar to do something called a circumnavigation or a Kora around Mount Kailash. And it's not that you climb the mountain. There's a pass that's up over 18,000 feet or 5,000 meters. But a friend of mine had described it to me as this beautiful sort of walk in the park. And I was driven, driven to do it. And I had an opportunity where I could work in Nepal. And right after I had a very small window where maybe I could go to Tibet. And when I looked at my business and my other commitments and things like that, I thought, you know what? I can't go. But then when I looked at how close I was and the fact that I don't know if I'll ever get or be able to take that opportunity ever again, I then thought I can't not go. And my can't not go was stronger than my can't go. So I did. And I had this amazing journey with one of my closest friends. So I just said, you know, Eric, I'm doing this, just buy a ticket. We're going to go together. And I was able to knock that off my bucket list. And when you're involved in adventure travel and you knock things off your bucket list, you think, wow, that takes a lot of pressure off. You know, I've done one of the things that I really was hoping to do in, in life. And it's an amazing journey. And that's why it's revered by millions of people around the world, Buddhists, Jains, Hindus, nuns, people who, who go to, to do this sort of Kora or pilgrimage around Mount Kailash. That's such a great list. Thank you for sharing those. My pleasure. All right. As we wrap up, I have two more questions for you. First, where can people find you on social media and your website? Okay. So my website is whitewater.ca. So lucky. Got a great domain name. So (laughs) you really did. (laughs) Whitewater.ca. On social media, we're Esprit Whitewater Adventures and Training. But funnily enough, I almost get more contact with people from my personal Facebook page, which is just Jim Coffee, the one who's doing a whole bunch of whitewater stuff. You know, you'll be able to, to find that <laughs> easily enough. And we're also on Instagram and some of those other platforms. But but really, probably social media, Facebook is our has our strongest presence. And our, our web address is, again, whitewater.ca. And I'm Jim at whitewater.ca. Pretty easy. Perfect. All right. Well, as you know, I'm a strategy and action coach. So I created this podcast, not just to talk and dream about things, but ultimately I really want to inspire people to take massive action towards their own dreams and their own goals. 
So with that in mind, I'd love to close out with an action challenge. What's one thing you want people to get out there and do in pursuit of their their dreams and their goals? So Jim, what's your action challenge? So my action challenge is that if you're looking at starting your business and you figure out all the reasons why you can't start your business, there's probably more reasons why you can or why you should or why you must. So push the can'ts aside and move the cans up to the forefront. My second action challenge is either for yourself with your own business or with just any other business. If you're going to be selling trips and tours once a year, go take a trip or a tour with someone else or do your own. But stay in tune to what what you're doing. The same thing if you're a instructor of some sort. So I teach water rescue on a very high end level. You need to, if you're an instructor of some sort, you need to take a class. It could be something completely different. It could be yoga. It could be web design. But if you're a teacher, you need to understand what it's like to be a student. And if you're a travel operator, you need to understand what it's like to travel. And maybe your experience won't be that good, but that's okay because you can pull out things that you don't want to add to your business. But more likely, whatever you're going to do is going to be amazing. You're going to find other things that, you know what, I'm going to add this into my business. And so even if it costs a little bit of money, even if um, it takes up a little bit of your time, you have to stay in tune to what you do. So figure out what you do best and then either do it through your own business or do it through another business so that you remain someone whose finger is on the pulse on how to project and move your business forward. Because everything that you do right now has an expiry date. So you can't just do the same old whitewater rafting trip for 35 years in a row. You got to change things up a little bit. Everything has an expiry date. So you may as well get out there and figure out how am I going to evolve? How am I going to be able to do things differently? And the way to do that is by participating in something similar to the business that you provide. Great. So many gems, so many gems in there and really a perfect place to close out. So we'll put all the ways our listeners can learn more about you and your work in the show notes. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, Jim. It's been not only fun talking with you, I feel like I could just talk to you forever, but just really inspiring on so many levels. So just thank you again for taking the time and happy adventuring. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Liz. We appreciate it. My goal as a business strategy and action coach and why I ultimately created this podcast is to inspire you to take massive action towards your own dreams and goals. So if you're enjoying this podcast and you find the content valuable, like, subscribe, or follow me wherever you get your podcasts. And I always love hearing from my listeners. So please leave a review. And until next time, be sure to live life on your terms. And if you're not, make a plan and make it happen, my friend. Adventure awaits. Thanks for listening.